0: hey everyone got a fantastic episode for you today today i've got ian stepler from stepler farms in canada and you would know him from his fantastic youtube channel the canadian beekeepers blog Uh, thanks for being with us today ian Yeah, I'm happy to be here, Brent. Thanks. Excellent. Now, I believe you've got a a funny beekeeping story you'd like to start us off with.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm going to, uh, how about I go with this? Um, Have you ever heard of the King Bee joke?
0: No, no, I don't don't think I have.
1: Yeah, well, this is a joke that uh, I tell my new recruits onto the farm just to test them out uh, to see how comfortable they are with me. And I'll tell you how the joke goes. It's really lame. But it's uh, so there There once was a King Bee and he uh, told his workers, uh, we worked really hard today. Why don't we take the day the next day off and drink some mead? And as the first and last King Bee. <laughs> 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 so not a lot of people get that but when i tell that joke to uh, my new recruits like the school kids out here in the farm they're never sure when to laugh or you know if the punch nice line's coming and you know they get really nervous and such and but i tell the joke and i have the kids that have been through this already they've been with me for a few years they're just kind of they kind of chuckle <laughs> uh, but i told fantastic. that joke to a, a a a um i went to a, a conference and I opened up with the joke because that's what you're supposed to do right now. I opened up with the King Bee joke and nobody got it. It's just crickets. <laughs> <laughs> Two or 300 people in front of me. So I told my kids and they were just mortified. They said, dad, you couldn't have done that.
0: <laughs> oh, that,
1: that's funny. <laughs> so anyways, uh, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> no, I love it.
0: All right. So first question today comes from a mate of mine, Steve Samet, and he's a big fan of yours, by the way, and wanted me to say thanks for all of the videos. Um, so the question is, you used to do your own breeding stock and now you are bringing in some more breeding stock. How do you feel that's changed your operation? Has it been a positive benefit? How, how do you feel about that?
1: Well, it hasn't changed things yet. It, you know, the, all the stock was brought in on an emergency basis just because I had a bad spring, I had heavy losses, and I had to fill my boxes. So I was working more in the sense of emergency measures uh, my operation come down to the sickness and it all stemmed to mite trouble the fall before. And it wasn't so much the mite, I don't think, but maybe some of the virus that uh, infected the, the bees. And the next spring come through, actually wintered all right, but we had uh, just the perfect conditions uh, which expressed nosema I had no, no background nosema infection. It just flared up on me. So, you know, I won't get into the, the doom and gloom of the whole bit but i ended up losing about 55 percent of my colonies and i have all this equipment i needed to fill so i brought in packaged bees and i brought them in from everywhere so as you know like i i have kind of internalized my uh, breeding program to kind of focus on the stock that i want and it was really painful for me to have to then reach out and bring in some of this outside stock into my operation uh, s- a stock that I'm not familiar with. And as I went through the year, I noticed that the stock just did not perform the way that I wanted or what I'm used to because I'm, I'm breeding bees that worked for me uh, exactly the way I wanted them to. And here are some bees that are very generic and they come in and they just weren't ticking, right? Um, so I'll, I'll approach that in two different ways. One is, uh, diversity isn't a bad thing, right? Maybe bringing these new bees in, new genetics, new, new expression of traits uh, might be good to mix into mine just to see uh, which, which flourishes because uh, I think colonies just do better when they are, have more diversity within them. And I think your study that shows that too. But this spring, I'm going to go through and we're going to pinch off a lot of those queens just because I want to get back on track to uh, – Um, to my own breeding program because in the fall I noticed the colonies that are set up just perfectly for winter were my own bees that survived the turmoil turmoil, uh, and all the package bees I brought in just weren't doing as well. So I'm going to pinch them off. We're probably going to keep the select, uh, like there's going to be some good queens in the bunch. We'll probably keep those and introduce them and they'll be raising drones and everything too. So That's just what happened, and that's just what I'm going to have to deal with, and that's that's how I'm going to follow through with it this coming season.
0: Mm. Okay, so I'll just say at this point for listeners, uh, there's a really good video on YouTube. It's called uh, Small Scale Commercial Queen Rearing, which Ian put out about five years ago. Really good, and he goes into a lot of detail about how he selects his queens, so how he looks at certain traits throughout the year, and uh, at the end of the year they go through and say, okay, this is the queen that we're going to be potentially using in the following season. And I think that's a really good idea. So you're essentially using all of your own stock. How long have you been doing that for?
1: It's been. Uh, when did I start that? I think it was 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just started dabbling with it. I used to bring in all my queens uh, by importing, uh, specifically from Hawaii. Uh, I haven't brought any uh, Australian bees in yet, but New Zealand. Uh, California. So I typically was bringing in queens to be able to satisfy my uh, queen requirements. Um, but I was having trouble with that. It wasn't so much, I don't think, uh, the queen breeder's problem. Um, you'll hear beekeepers complain about buying queens from somebody else and getting, you know, commercial operating operation, commercial operations bringing them in these Queens are no good because they're on a commercial basis, large scale and all that. I don't like to say that because these guys, I think they do a good job. It's just what I think the trouble I was having uh, with these Queens is, uh, I think the Queens are getting damaged in transportation. Uh, so from their queen bank into my queen bank in between uh, there's something going on there. So I'd get really good shipments and then I'd get poor shipments coming in and it just added a lot of trouble. And also trying to bring in queens, uh, ordering queens, uh, it's costly. And it also, what it did is you had to pretty much be stuck to a schedule to when those queens came to when you did your work and your operation. So I found, well, that's a problem of mine. So what I wanted to do is just relieve that problem. And the way I figured it out is by rearing my own queens. So I could start uh, the queen rearing process when the bees told me to start, um, I mean, I had to hire somebody or train somebody to do the work for me. So there's a cost there, but it's just a matter of um, uh, multi-purposing um, my labor source. So I was able to cut costs in a lot of ways. And I was able to develop this queen rearing program in a way that um, it allowed me to manage. We have very tight seasons in uh, in Canada. And that's why we bring in queens because we, we don't have enough time in the season to be able to Rear mate, and then uh, build the colonies out within the same season ourselves. So what I did is I pushed that into a two-year cycle. So I mated these queens just in the absolute perfect time to make the queens, allowed them to develop develop out through summer, winter them, and then brought them into production next year. It's just a fantastic uh, queen uh, rearing strategy. By doing that, it also allowed me to capture some honey opportunity from the from developing out these nucs and that honey that come in pretty much covered all my costs so it's just an absolutely brilliant uh, system that i had employed here in my farm and and these last two years has been tough we've run into really hard uh, weather conditions and it kind of knocked me off and i hasn't been able to fulfill the f- same type of queen ring program but we're looking to get back into it this coming spring.
0: Mm, fantastic. Now, just ask you a question about your cell builder. So, you've got a, a, an interesting type of cell builder, which you continue to use the entire season.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, I set my um, my cell builder up in a. Uh, I wouldn't say it's unique because I know beekeepers who employ this method. Uh, it involves a little bit more uh, maintenance and maybe a little bit more, um, manipulation to, uh, to make it work. I mean, the easiest thing to do would be to shake 10 pounds of bees into a nuke and just let them go. That's, I mean, that there's a cell builder right there, or just find a nice strong colony on the verge of swarming and pull the queen. And I mean, pow, you got yourself a builder. Um, but what I wanted to do is to maximize, um, the, uh, the bees that I'm using, uh, to get as many queen sales as i possibly can out of that builder so what we're doing is we're going out and um, we're harvesting uh, 10 pounds of bees into my cell builder and i found 10 pounds of bees was that magic number where there's just you know such an abundance amount of bees within that box uh, of all stages that I drew up myself just masterfully, you know, 15 pounds of bees was just a waste. I figured because they're bearding and, uh, and, uh, five or eight pounds is not enough. You, you can almost tell when you fill up your builder, you have the space where you can have the graft frame. And if you drop like a, a frame of foundation down in that open space, that frame shouldn't drop down. It should just kind of almost be hung up because of the amount of bees in that box, that's kind of the flash test, you know, when your builder has enough bees in it.
0: Mm-hmm. So and what these, I do- These builders are, are double, double boxes, right? Uh,
1: primarily in a single, uh, but I do put a box of foundation underneath just to hold the bearding. So if they're going to beard, they're going to beard inside so they don't get washed away if the rains come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I do is to, uh, first off, to maintain that builder- I rotate a brood frame or maybe sometimes two brood frames in the center on a weekly basis. And what that does is it provides an injection of bees uh, continuously, because I think it's very important that there's all stages of bees within that builder. And it ensures that there's going to be young, 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 the youngest of young bees in that builder at all times. So I rotate it out of the builder in a week because inevitably what happens is those, well, the queens are start making emergency cells. And we, you know, if we miss a cell, then she just tears apart all the work that's happening within that builder. So we try to rotate a brood frame through on a weekly basis just to protect ourselves from uh, those rogue uh, emergency cells and to keep that uh, builder fresh. So mm-hmm. the next thing we do within management is we supply them uh, with lots of syrup. Bees need that energy source to build out the, the wax, the wax glands and within the colony we do have frames of honey in there just for that you know the glut of food but at the same time we're um, making sure that we have uh, comb open comb not foundation but open comb so what the bees are going to do is they're going to go over to the feeder fill up a syrup and they're going to walk over and they're going to start into the comb and that just keeps syrup within the stomachs of these bees at all times. There's, they're, they're always transferring that syrup, so they're always feeding on syrup, so they're always you know, always producing the wax at the same time. So it, it's almost like a continuous flow going on. We <laughs> find when the frames fill up, uh, they almost, they slow down a little bit on their wax production, the cells don't get as long. So what we do is we pull those full frames and then we put empty frames back in there. So we're just always making sure they're full of syrup. Mm. The other thing we do is we, we supply a frame of pollen At least a frame of pollen, um, fresh preferably. It's always nice to be able to build out cells on a pollen flow, but we do have interruptions with the weather, and those interruptions, you know, will uh, wreak havoc with the amount of uh, jelly that they can fill those cells up with. So we always make sure there's a frame of pollen inside the colony at all times, and we always have a protein patty up on top, also. I guess you guys probably have small hive beetle in Australia, right?
0: Yes, it's not so much of an issue where I am down south, but it is a big problem up in the northern parts of New South Wales, Queensland, so oh, yes. forth.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. Yeah, uh, some guys can't get away with putting uh, patties on their colonies. Let's uh, just talk to some American beekeepers down there a small hive beetle causes a lot of trouble that way mm-hmm. but at any rate so then i have my that's my builder set up it has the bees it has the food it has the comb and i run a four-day cycle on my grafts um, i won't get to I, I can circle back into grafting and setting up the graft frames later but what we do is when the frame is uh full of uh how should I go about this? Um, each frame has uh, two bars and each bar has 15 cells on it. So when we want, um, or we can run three three bars in every uh, graft frame. So we can run 15, 35 or 45 cells to be drawn out in that one frame at a time, depending how many cells we need and depending how fresh that builder is going. So what we'll do is once that frame is grafted, we'll drop it into I'll call it slot A. And we'll let the bees work on that graft frame for the first four days. So what they're gonna do is they're gonna very effectively uh, accept and start feeding and drawing out those cells. So one day, two, three days, three days, fourth day. On the fourth day of the bees building out that frame, what we're doing then is we're gonna take that frame and move it into slot B. That's just about the time when the, the bees are capping those cells. So what we're going to do is we're going to move it into slot B to allow the bees to, in a sense, finish that graft frame. And then in slot A, we'll drop another graft frame. Okay, kind of follow what I'm doing there. Absolutely. And, what and
0: I'll just say to listeners, if, if you're not quite following what Ian's saying, I do refer you back to that video, the uh, small scale commercial queen rearing, because he goes through that process as well. Fantastic, by the way.
1: Yeah, and I absolutely love, uh, an old beekeeper taught me this method a while ago and and I just love the method so much because what it does is it keeps those bees, those builders, continuously building out cells, continuously accepting it, continuously feeding, continuously drawing wax out at all times. And there isn't that start, stop, start, stop. So if I would have left that frame in there for 10 days, they would have capped over those uh, queen cells and then they have nothing to feed right mm-hmm. so you know the the intention of this method is to keep introducing those fresh graft frames to keep those bees feeding that larvae to keep those glands at full production at all times mm-hmm. just always building always drawing out wax always feeding and uh, it's it draws a lot of energy from the colony but that's what those brood firms are for, just to continue to refresh that, uh, that nest, to give them those young bees to just keep on working, keep on working, keep on working. And what I'll do is uh, that um, cell builder will put either one bar, two bars or three bars. So uh, 15, 30 or 45 uh, cups at a time. Um, if we need more than that, uh, what we do is we add another builder and we need more and that, we add two more builders and more than that, we add three more builders. So by the time, um, so the way I work it is I need uh, 30 or 45 cells every day. So I have a row of four. So first day, second day, third day, fourth day, then the next day comes back to that first builder as we move that frame over to slot B and we just keep going down the cycle. So that row of four builders will give me Thirty or forty-five cells every day, every day, every day, every day. And if I need ninety cells, I just duplicate that row. That give me ninety cells. If I need, you know, one hundred and twenty or one hundred thirty, whatever, I just have a third row going. It just, you know, you just manage the number of cells you need by just duplicating the entire process. Mm. Hope I could ex- describe that to you properly, but it yeah, just absolutely. works so well.
0: Fantastic description. And uh, you're also putting in nurse bees periodically every few weeks to the yeah.
1: so that's what the the brood frames are uh intended to do is to hatch out those young bees but we'll also shake more bees in if we feel that the builders maybe you know sometimes uh, builders will drift back and forth so we'll maybe shake some more bees in just to make sure they have lots of young bees in those boxes because that is the key is lots of bees and lots of young bees So I guess maybe I'll finish up on that cycle because the next very important cycle is you're going to say, okay, first day, one, two, three, four, you're moving that frame over to slot B, you're putting another one in. So then the next cycle comes around that uh, graft frame that's in slot B gets moved out of that builder because you're having that slot A moving to that slot B, right? Every four days. So what do you do for the next two days with that frame? So what we do And this is very important and very effective. We take that uh, uh, eight day old graft frame with just very nice mature cells, Um, very vulnerable at this time. So we have to be very swift with our work and very gentle, but we'll transfer those cells into a foam case that then go into my incubator. And I keep my incubator at uh, 93 and a half degrees Fahrenheit. And what this does is just finishes off the entire building process it puts them into a place that's inside. So they stay in there for two days. So on day 10 after graft is when we start transferring in. Uh, We like to transfer them on day 11 after graft just because they're hot and they're they're not as easy to damage at that time. But day 12, they start hatching, so you got to watch out. And that allows us to be able to access those cells at any time, regardless of the weather. It just buys a little bit of grace period. And it, what it also does, that incubator, it also evens out the maturity of those cells. When you look at a cluster of bees within a box building out um, queen cells, you'll you'll notice that if you leave those queen cells in that builder to maturity until, you know, until day 10 or day 11, you'll notice that the emergence of those queen cells is variable you know within hours maybe even half a day and that's because the cluster is different temperature all the way around they don't keep a consistent temperature they try to but on the outer edges maybe it's a little bit cooler they have a little bit trouble keeping the outer edges um, as warm as they need to and that slows down maturity when you can take that graft frame put it into the incubator they're all consistently being um, matured at 93 and a half degrees and you'll find your emergence within half an hour it's an amazing thing it's just like they all come out just like that so i find it very effective in that way too I used to keep my builder at 92 and a half i think it was right off the start but i found that it would just um it it caused more of a slow emergence so i wanted to quicken that up i kept my build or my incubator at 93 and a half degrees fahrenheit and that seemed to be, I know some guys at 94 and it's very hot. They, the queens come out a lot quicker. Yeah.
0: Mm, ah, fantastic. And then you're transferring into mating nukes and you're using a, a larger style mating nuke. And you're also keeping them very tightly together. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So, what I used to do is I used to mate them in um, these little styrofoam mating nukes, right? You're probably familiar familiar with them. Is that the Apideia? Are,
0: Apideia Oh, little uh, boy, polystyrene. I the name. Yeah, ones? Just
1: little take a cup full of bees, pour yep. some bees in there in the queen cell. And that was very effective because it used very little resource to mate these queens. And that was great. But we found that, boy. It's a lot of work too, because you got to maintain those little units. They can get too crowded or plug up with honey or all of a sudden maybe not enough bees in there. So what we kind of shifted, we shifted away from them and more into establishing these queen cells in uh, nukes themselves and maybe just taking a little bit of a loss on, we'll have like 85 to 90% success in our mating uh, because generally we try to mate when the, uh, Whether it's just perfect uh, later in May into June, so we get really good mating results. Um, but what it does is it allows us to set up the nuke, like two brood frames, uh, honey frame, maybe a little bit of space and a shake of bees, just a, you know, a nice little nuke, Drop a queen cell in there, and you can kind of just in a way set it and forget it. You put the queen cells in there, you can just put a pale syrup on, and just push them out into the real world, right? and we'll come back in 23 days just to check up on them. Uh, generally at that time, the, the queen's emerged and mated and they come back and laying and we can do a real solid assessment and whether or not that queen is adequately mated or not. If there's uh, your trouble or if she's not mated properly, we can pinch them off. And at that time we can drop another brood frame in there, another cell and just get her going again, give it a second chance. Um, if the unit is successful, Generally at this time, we're looking at honey flow. So we, uh, what we do is we push these colonies, these little nukes, these queen-rate nukes into the honey flow. Um, <clears throat> by doing that, we have to manage that honey flow and managing a honey flow with nukes is a lot of work because you have to go in and you have to sort, You know, you don't want these colonies to get plugged up with honey and uh, to collect honey on them you have to you know put boxes up on top and generally nukes are smaller size so they have all these uh, different size boxes and it just becomes a real pain in the ass so what we've done to manage all that summertime work is when we push them into the honey flow we push a number of colonies together whatever that what so what we do is we'll run a five frame nukes and six frame nukes. So what we'll do is we'll, if we're running five frame nukes, two five frame nukes together with the queen excluder over top, then shares a full deep up on top. Okay, you're following me there. Mm -hmm. And then if we're running sixes, sixes are real nice because they just fit under two boxes nicely. So we'll put two sixes together. So the sixes generally are about 11 inches wide. So three of those is 33 inches. Two excluders on top of those three, and then we stack two boxes of, of honey supers up on top. And what that does, it allows us to push these nukes into the honey flow and to collect the honey flow on standard equipment that we'd be using on the rest of the operation. So, in the sense, we just take those nukes and just slap them right on the backside of the production yards. So, we will go through, pull all the honey on the production yards, and we'll finish up in the nukes. We'll collect all the honey off the nucs, give them back uh, boxes to, to fill up again if there's more honey flow coming in. And it allows us to completely manage all that awkwardness of making nucs throughout the summer. Mm-hmm. And if we get our timing right, sometimes we get our timing right, these little nucs can produce you a tremendous amount of honey. It would surprise you if you have a flow coming in, these little nucs are in a tight space as soon as they fill out their little nuke, they go straight up and they go straight to work and they'll bring in nectar and they'll give me boxes full of honey. So all this honey that they're producing pretty much covers all the cost of building those nukes, it co- the manpower costs, treatment costs, feeding costs later on in the season. And so pretty much making these little guys for free, mm. you know, it's just a, just a brilliant way of, uh, uh, mating out these queens building out nukes and just giving you that huge supply of nukes uh, throughout the season
0: mm. well that's fantastic thanks Ian. now i'm conscious of your time i don't want to take up too much uh, i've got a thousand more questions but what we'll think we'll leave it there today <laughs> uh thanks a lot okay. is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up
1: Ah, oh, boy, uh, once you get me talking about queen uh, rearing <laughs> or anything about beekeeping, I don't stop, so.
0: <laughs> no uh,
1: so I'd be happy to come on with you anytime if you'd like.
0: Oh, thanks a lot. All right, then. Well, uh, we'll finish it up there, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you another day soon.
1: For sure. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Okay, well how good is that to get chat with Ian? I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you're a commercial beekeeper and you'd like to have a go at raising your own queens, I highly recommend checking out Ian's YouTube channel. It's called A Canadian Beekeepers Blog and it's a great place to see the whole process. So i will link that in the show notes. Also in the show notes, I'm going to link the Facebook group for this podcast. It's called Breeding the Honey Bee and I've only recently started that one. I'm hoping it's going to be a great place for people to come and chat about the episodes, teach us a few things, share maybe some of your own tips, or just say hi. So that's the Facebook group for this podcast. Now next month, I've got another Canadian on the podcast. I've got Brad Hogg from Faith Apries. He's a mate of Ian's and he's going to tell us a little bit more about what it's like to raise queens in Canada. He's got some really interesting methods. He's got one video on YouTube about the two queens system. So we go into that. He's also got a a video on this thing called Zombie Mating Nukes. So we talk a little bit about that as well. Really interesting stuff. That's all in next month's episode. So if you don't want to miss it, make sure you subscribe. And until next time, thanks so much for tuning in.